Welcome to the Butterfly Broadcast, sharing stories of transformation after pregnancy and infant loss. I'm your host, Bailey DeMars. Here, you and I know each other from working with at Share Parents, so I would love the listeners to get to know Jane Rollins a little bit better. So tell us yeah. about yourself. Yeah, I'm Jane. Um, I grew up in St. George. But I've been living in South Jordan for the last uh, seven years, almost. Um, I am married with two living children and then my angel baby. That's a little bit about me, I guess. Um, Yeah, you asked me for two random facts. Is that what you're jumping on into, right? Yeah, tell me about you. (laughs) One, um, in college, I got my degree in American Studies. Um, which is a lot of history and humanities, because I have a weird nerd passion for America. And I have been to 43 states. And my goal is to get to all 50. And I am going to go to Alaska at the end of the summer. And that'll be number 44. So we'll, we'll get there. And that's probably the hardest one to get to. That is, yes. We're taking a cruise up there for our 10-year anniversary. So oh, that'll be that's fun. That's way to do it. I've heard amazing things about those cruises. I'm excited. Knock another off my list. That's a cool bucket list. Yeah. Okay, what else? And then the other random fact is I am the second child of nine. So I come from a really big family. Um, I was 14 when my youngest sibling was born. Wow, party at your house. Large, large spread there. Lots of siblings. And there are five girls and four boys. I'm the oldest girl, so I'm an older brother, and then there's a whole big slew of us. Fun. So I'm used to a lot of chaos and crazy. It takes a lot to overwhelm me at this point. (laughs) Good quality. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, so you mentioned you've got the two living and your angel baby. Tell us a little bit what life was like before angel baby. Sure. Um... Back in 2019 is probably when the story starts. Um, I had um, my daughters first and then my son. Um, At that time, um, they were young. When uh, my third was born, my daughter was five and my son had just turned three. So um, we were hanging out. So at the time, I guess they were four and two and I was living my best life at 19 and 2019. And I felt really content with my family size, really good things in life, really good where I was. And then um, started wondering, it's like, do I want to have a third child? As my kids started getting a little older, I was wondering, like, is this the right time for us? And my initial response was, no, I'm done. I'm good. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I had a lot of postpartum depression, especially with my second, and that was a really difficult thing to recover from. And I had finally felt like I was in a really good spot in my life. Um, But then it took a lot of, honestly, a lot of prayer and a lot of meditation and feeling prompted in a way to have a third child. And I was really hesitant about it. Um, My husband was very much of whatever you want to do. You know, we're on a team here together, but he was letting me take the lead in a lot of it. Um, 
but I was just really hesitant, but yet feeling like there I was supposed to have a third. And then it got to the point where it was like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you here and we'll have a third. And I was scared because of my postpartum. And I also had really rough pregnancies um, health-wise. But I was like, we're going to do it. And it's going to be what it is. It's going to be miserable, but we're going to do it. And it'll be worth it in the end, right? That's what it's all about. Um, so we got pregnant at the end of 2019 in September. And I was due um, end of May, beginning of June of 2020. And I... With my, all my all three of my pregnancies, I get sick before I get a positive pregnancy test. Mm. But that's tends to be my cue. And this was no different. I get hyperemesis. Um, and that means I am severe morning sickness for the entirety of my pregnancies. Um, I'm bedridden. I will have IVs at times to make sure I get fluids in me because I cannot even keep water down some days. And it is the entire nine months, multiple times a day, not to get too graphic, but it's miserable. Oh my gosh. That doesn't seem fair. <laughs> yeah. And so I remember early on in my pregnancy, um, probably even like somewhere between like eight and 10 weeks with my third being like, I would love to just miscarry just so I could be done. And because I was like, great, I got pregnant, I did the whole third thing, and I just went out at this point because I was so sick yeah. and so miserable. And knowing what I know now, I have to give myself grace. But at the same time, I also kick myself because, like, I, the outcome is not what I wanted it to be. And now it's like, I wish no one had miscarriages. That's not the solution. And But that was a raw emotion that you had. Yes. Yes. Um. So even in my caterpillar phase throughout like my pregnancy and stuff, it was a lot of struggle still, but I still had that light at the end of the tunnel of like, all of this is worth it. I felt confident that this was what I was supposed to do, that I was guided in this direction, that this was right for our family. And it was going to turn out okay at the end, that that's kind of where my caterpillar was crawling towards. I like that visual. <laughs> so, so you mentioned you were extremely sick. Did that continue like normal every step of the way of the pregnancy? Yeah, yeah. And when I um, check in with my, I actually use midwives. So I check with my midwives the whole time and all my stats look great. Um, baby looks fine. I just feel sick um, and I'll take over the prescription medications and such, but it'll maybe take the edge off, but there's no cure. There's no real treatment um, for my level that it's basically I'm allergic to being pregnant and the solution is give birth. Okay. And it's like, so I got to just endure it for nine months. Wow. And yeah, we hired a nanny to take care of my other two kids because I was bedridden not not because of my body's need to be bedridden, but just because of my physical stamina mm. of being so sick the whole time. Right. So how did that caterpillar phase kind of transition into 
that ooey gooey mess. Right. As you know, with my caterpillar phase, it wasn't even that great to begin with. Mm-hmm. But um, I was definitely inching towards that end of the tunnel light. Um, now, this also was in 2020, which if anyone thinks back to the beginning of 2020, that's when the world kind of fell apart. And there was a lot of scary stuff happening. And when you add the hormones and anxiety of pregnancy, um, I definitely got really scared emotionally because I was due end of May. And so come March time, I was like, what's going to happen? Am I going to be okay? Is my baby going to be okay? All this fear. And I had already planned to deliver with midwives in a birthing center. I did that with my other two. That was always the goal. Um, And so I was grateful that that was my choice to begin with because it allowed me a little bit more flexibility and freedom to have my family kind of be a part of my experience and such. Um, But there was still a lot of unknowns and uncertainties. But I was just like really hanging on to my faith in the idea that I knew this was what I was supposed to do and um, and that I loved him and that it was going to be okay and that I was doing everything right in my head and um, trying my best, basically. But then we were reaching the finish line in um, the end of May. So it was May 27th that I went in. It was on a Wednesday and it was my 39 week appointment. So at this time, you know, I'm twirling my thumbs, basically waiting any day for this baby to pop out of me because I am big and miserable and I've been so sick. And I know with my other two, the moment I gave birth, like literally within seconds, I can like take a deep breath and feel so much better. I feel peak of energy after giving birth that I'm like, let's go run a mile. Like, I feel so much better giving birth than I ever do while pregnant. I love giving birth just because I don't have to be pregnant anymore. And so by 39 weeks, you know, I'm anxious for it, but just waiting for nature to kick in and do its course. And so I go to my appointment and midwife asks how I'm doing. And it's like, fine, I'm just ready, you know, like normal and do all the questions and such he's like at the very end she's like hey let's check on baby's heartbeat and I lay down and she takes the doppler to my stomach and starts looking for it and it's still quiet and she's looking and looking and it's like it normally doesn't take this long and as I'm laying there both of us start to panic you know and she's like well maybe baby's in a different direction than I think he is and We're trying and I, you know, as those tension builds, you just know something's wrong and she's trying her best. Like if she could will out that heartbeat, she would have. Mm. Um, And she pulls in her assistant to also try to get the heartbeat and that didn't happen. Um, And they pulled out this really old um, ultrasound machine and they try to use that. And I glimpse at it and it's still, um, so I was there at the appointment by myself because it was supposed to just be a routine thing. My husband was working, you know, my kids were at home because there was no school because it was COVID. My husband was luckily at home working remotely, 
but we only had one car and I had driven to the appointment. I'm like, I need my husband. You know, I need somebody here. And so it's like, well, I'm going to go home and get my husband and come back before the ultrasound tech comes. And they were my, the two midwives were nervous to like, let me out of their sights. Basically, they're like, are you emotionally okay? Can you even drive home? I was like, I have to go get him. And, you know, so I'm like crying as I'm driving home and I called people as I'm going. It's like, they can't find the heartbeat. They can't find the heartbeat. And, you know, that's when all the panic is rising and I get my husband and call a neighbor to watch my kids and we drive back to the ultrasound place. I let him drive. Um, and then we get set up and the ultrasound tech um, turns the screen away from me as he looks. And I know once he does that, it's like, yep, it's not there. Um, and I don't even remember the exact words that he said. And, but I know what he meant. I know, I, I know the gist of what he said. I couldn't tell you what he said, but I know what he said. And not to put myself on any sort of pedestal to make myself sound amazing. Because I'm a human and I'm normal. But as soon as he said whatever it was that he said, the thought came to my head. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That that was the first thing I thought as soon as I learned my son died. And it doesn't make sense because why would I there after trusting God this entire time, not even necessarily wanting to get pregnant in the first place and have the third and knowing that I was trusting him to begin with to even have this child and then trusting him to take care of me while being so sick and pregnant and then trusting him again once the world was going crazy to please take care of me. I'm doing everything I can to stay safe in my little family. And I know that everything's out of my control, but I'm just going to do what I can and trust that we're going to be okay. And then my baby dies. And then my first thought is blessed be the name of the Lord. And then I cried, you know, that's, that definitely came there too. I'm not any super mom. Um, but I think that thought came to me outside of myself. I think that there were multiple angels, including my son, as strength. Um, I like to think that at least. Yeah. I, yeah, find solace in that. Um, and so then at that appointment after, you know, ultrasound tech was looking and he's taking measurements and such. And he says, it's probably trisomy 13. And I was like, I have no idea what that means, but great. Thanks. <laughs> um, and Never later finding out. Right. Right. No one does. Um, trisomy 13 is a genetic condition where um, your genes have two of everything, except when there's, Three for try trisomy. There's a third one on the gene number 13. I'm no doctor. Someone's going to listen to this and be like, you're wrong. So listen to whoever is correcting me. Um, but where there's supposed to be two, there was three. And it's just a random fluke that could have happened to anybody. It 
is not necessarily inherited or passed on and it just happens but it just kind of altered the genetic code enough so when my baby's body formed it formed just slightly differently um it's kind of similar to down syndrome it's a down syndrome is a different um chromosome that has a trisomy um trisomy 18 is also a common one but this was 13 and it when um when babies are diagnosed with it most aren't born alive by most we're talking like 90% or something like that and the ones that are don't live long and the ones that do live long tend to have a pretty poor quality of life tend to need a lot of surgery and hospital stay don't have a lot of you know they might have mobility issues or speech issues there's not um not that their life is not worth value because it's totally worth value it's just not what you would picture mm-hmm. when you picture having that child um and so having that diagnosis of trisomy 13 he was going to die that is kind of in the cards with that and i didn't know he had trisomy 13 until the ultrasound um i could have chosen to have genetic testing at the beginning and i had opted out i felt that was useless for me mm-hmm. and i just opted out i did with my other two kids most of my friends opted out of that genetic testing it seems to be very inconclusive anyway and my 20 week ultrasound things looked fine health wise i was sick but otherwise fine that i had no clue up until that appointment and so baby was still inside and at that ultrasound he was able to tell yes wow yeah um partly because of the way the organs formed the way the bone structure formed things like that are just kind of misproportioned mm-hmm. um and my the ultrasound tech's pretty good at his job i guess i don't i'm no doctor <laughs> and did you find that diagnosis brought any comfort like because it was inevitable like you didn't do anything wrong yes definitely it it's interesting as i've talked with other moms we all want to find reasons to blame ourselves i think it gives us a sense of control and power when we can come up with the reason why and especially if we can make it our own fault because it gives us power and control even though it's awful Um, and in this case there is zero percent intervention there's nothing to be done science can't fix this genetic code at this point um and so as soon as the genes divided as soon as the cells divided his fate was sealed and so there is peace for me in knowing that but at the same time, I then come up with excuses of like, well, maybe God didn't trust me because I wasn't a good enough mom with my other two. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's because I'm such an awful person that I didn't deserve to have him anyway. And so I still love to try to find blame for myself, um, even though I can consciously say like, that's not the reason. But it does help me to understand a little bit, to know that there really wasn't anything I did or didn't do. Um, But at the same time, I kind of wish there was because then I would have a little bit more control in the situation and I don't. Right. Do you ever think about 
what it would have been like if you had known that diagnosis the whole pregnancy? Definitely. Um, especially where I was so sick the whole time. Um, and thinking back of how early on I just wish I had miscarried and been done with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then knowing that he died at the end, I felt so guilty for ever thinking that thought. And as I meet other women who have miscarried and the tragedy that is, I feel so guilty for ever thinking that thought. Um, but if I had known at the beginning that that was going to be the outcome at the end, um, that would have made me have to make a lot of decisions that I don't know what I would have chosen. Yeah. And my heart breaks for any any parent in that choice, in that position to make those choices that it can't be easy because it's not. And if I knew at the beginning that it's like, well, you could sit for nine months and grow this child and know that two days before birth, he would die. And so every day you spend vomiting and sick, that light at the end of the tunnel, there is no light. Or you can make another equally difficult decision and terminate for medical reasons which is heartbreaking and devastating because as much as I dragged my feet about having a third, I wanted the third. I wanted my baby. You know, I was on board once I was on board and it's not like I didn't love my son because I did. I just didn't want to be sick and miserable and pregnant at the time. Absolutely. They're separate. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And I hope people can give me grace for that. Um, But it definitely, I think, panned out the way it did for a reason. Because if I had known the whole time, it would have mentally been an entirely different Mm ballgame and a very huge toll on me. Or if I had had to make a different decision, I, I don't know. And it gives me so much sympathy for a lot of other people who make really hard choices. Absolutely. So... Now tell me, like, what was that like after that appointment where you got that terrible news? Like, what was yeah. the delivery like? Yeah. Um, I talked with my midwives after the ultrasound tech left. And I was like, what What do we do from here? Where do I go? You know, like, do I have to go to a hospital and get induced now? Or they're like, you can still be here with us and give birth with us. And it's like, I have to give birth still. You know, it's like he's a full baby at this point. He was seven pounds, seven ounces when he was born. And I had to do the entire labor and delivery process still. And that was really daunting to know that at the end of that, you know, that's normally when you're giving birth, you have that motivation at the end to know that this pain is worth it. Um, And part of me wanted to ditch all my plans for an unmedicated birth and go get an epidural or even just go someone make me unconscious and cut this baby out of me and just drug me up for the next six years and (laughs) maybe I'll recover at that point um but at the same time I still felt a lot of peace um which I believe is a gift um outside of me and I went home and did a lot of phone calls and a lot of crying and um I reached out to different friends and family and sources um, and called um, 
it was so interesting to call mortuaries at the same time I'm calling birth photographers. <laughs> like that's something mom shouldn't have to do. Absolutely. That that's that's doesn't make sense. Um but we made arrangements and my mom came up for the birth and I ended up um so my appointment was Wednesday in the morning and I ended up going into labor Thursday late and gave birth Friday early like 1 or 2 a.m. and my labors are fast and furious and um <laughs> they're a hoot and a holler and um very untraditional I give birth um for all three of mine I have done water births nice. um they're very common in Europe not so much in America but they're super safe People be like, oh, did you lose your baby because you were with a midwife in a water birth? No. Had nothing to do with that. Um, but I loved my water birth. And I also used nitrous oxide, which is laughing gas. And I get a little loopy on laughing gas. <laughs> and um, when I showed up at my birthing center, my midwives were there ready and waiting they were very solemn, very somber, because naturally so. They knew I was coming in to, to have a stillbirth. Like, that was what they were anticipating. And I said, let's get this party started. <laughs> wow. And yeah. I turned on rock music, and I enjoyed my nitrous oxide, and I cracked a bunch of jokes, and I... <laughs> Remember how it was the American Studies nerd? Mm -hmm. um, I quoted the Gettysburg Address in labor. No. <laughs> yeah, I that whole four score and seven years ago, I can recite that while giving birth. I've done it. I did that during my son's birth. And That's amazing. During both, both of my boys' births, I recited it because I can. I don't know. It was a coping strategy. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, and I ended up giving birth with the song on repeat of Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. Oh. That was my, um, one of my middle school anthems, right? And that's yeah. the song I wanted. I'm like, someone just put that on repeat for me while I do my pushing. And like, it does not make sense. That is so out there, right? Especially because I knew my baby was dead. Like, who would do that? But I did. <laughs> um actually i know it was it was really fun and uh this is awful sort of fun um but i will say the moment like as i was pushing being like i was really scared i didn't know what he was going to look like um i think that's really common for a lot of moms who go in having stillbirths or miscarriages even to not know and i was really nervous but as soon as i saw him it was love and did he look a little different sure but I loved him. It was my son. And there was so much happiness in that moment of also deep sorrow. And it's so weird to be able to hold both of those extreme emotions at the same time. But I did. Um, and it was beautiful. And then I spent time with him there at the birthing center. Um, that morning, my two living kids came in and we spent time taking some pictures and um, as a family, Share Parents of Utah came um, 
they are an amazing organization that is based um, up in like Salt Lake County, Utah County area in Utah. Um, I had an angel basically on earth named Julie come and support me. And I remember the moment she walked in of just that comfort and the way that she changed the tone of the room to make it hopeful and helpful there and to be like, you're going to get through this was exactly what I needed. And the someone to say, this is how you do it. And they took, and she took hand and foot molds of my baby. Um, we named him Garrett. Um, it's a name both my husband and I really liked. And then his middle name is Jack after my grandfather that I've always had a close connection with. Um, so Garrett, Jack. And I spent that morning with him in our birthing center and just soaking every ounce of him in and loving on him. Um, and he was beautiful. We um, ended up having a graveside service for him the following Wednesday because it was COVID time. Everything was outdoors. Um, we Zoomed it for extended family. And I did a lot of um, virtual hugs with people. And, you know, it was so different to try to feel that support while also being six feet apart from everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same way, though, it was nice to have a reason to just seclude in my own little home and not have to show up anywhere or do anything. Um, no obligations in that sense. But there was both isolating at the same time as well. But then I found a really big um, support within the Share Parents of Utah community. Um, I continued to spend time with Julie and other leaders in that group. Um, they offer support groups. They had events. They had um, social media groups like Facebook and Instagram. And I was like, I just love it. And I soaked it all in. At the time, they had um, most of their support groups were over Zoom because it was COVID. And so I could just attend every meeting from my living room, basically. And I did. I attended all of the meetings. And I really felt that sense of community and support. Um. And I found my tribe with them. And I think that part of it is also um, where my butterfly phase came. Um, At the end of 2020, I kind of bended the rules. You're supposed to wait 18 months to start volunteering. I bended the rules a little bit and started volunteering just on their digital media side um, by making some social media posts. Um, and then hung around with them all throughout 2021. And then at my, um, 18 month mark, I started doing support group, um, leading out on support groups. Basically I transitioned from attending them to leading them and found a lot of healing within that. I also transitioned from being just a member of the social media team to leading out on the social media team. 
um, throughout 2022. And then at the beginning of uh, 2023, I became vice president of Share Parents of Utah. And if you had asked me at the beginning if this is where I thought my life would be, no way. No way. But now I am the one to show up for other people who um, are in the middle of their loss. And I walk into their space just the same way that Julie walked into mine. And I'm the one to give that support the same way I received it. And I'm so humbled by that. And the scary part is not seeing the babies. The scary part is making sure that I live up to um, all the hopes and dreams that they need me to be because I know how important it is for these families to get that support. And I just want to love on all of these families as best as I can. Um, the first call I did was for a childhood friend of mine after they had a loss. And I was really scared because I had said I was going to volunteer with Cheryl in every aspect except poly um, hospital companioning. But when I found out that it was my friend, I was like, I have to go. I have to do this for her. I want to do this for her. And then walking in there and seeing the other baby. What I was so scared was going to be triggering. But I saw that other baby and it's like, that's not my baby. That's their baby. That's not Garrett. It's someone else. And there was a lot of peace. And I enjoyed it, as weird as that sounds. I, but I guess with my volunteer work, after doing my first call, making sure that it was, um, making sure that I did a good enough job was something that mattered to me. And it's like, this is important. And it became this passion for me. And this is something I really care about now. And now as a volunteer um, and as vice president, this is what I do all day, every day. Um, that I now give back. And I am living his legacy is kind of what I tell myself. The way I live my life because he was here is his legacy. It's the impact he has on the world is the impact he had on my life and what I do because he was here. And I want that to be positive. I want him to have made a difference in this world for good. And the difference he's made is how I'm changed. And I want that to be for the better. And I want that to extend to other people too. That's so beautiful that you've chosen to take that approach. And I can also say that I've seen another token you've given back in his legacy, which is a dad keychain, right? Yes. Tell me about that. Yes. Um, <clears throat> for his, um, I guess it was for his first birthday, I wanted to find some way to give back. Um, that was going to be meaningful. It was going to be just like our family thing potentially even like outside of just like my volunteer work. It's like, what is going to be Garrett's thing? And I was asking, it's like, what, what need is there? And there was the express that dads often get overlooked. 
And it's hard because moms are often the one that people come and wrap their arms around. And it's so visible to say like, yes, that's who's suffering right now. That's really hard as the mom. But dads hurt too in a different way um, that their pain is still really valid because it's sometimes even harder because if it's a pregnancy loss, they didn't get that bonding time that moms often get that it's, it's so, um, there's like a detachment sometimes, not that they are emotionally detached, but that they've physically never had that chance to bond with this child that they've loved and that's taken away from them that chance. And that hurts for them still too. Yet everyone is so concerned about mom that caring family and friends who mean so well will come up to dad and look him in the eye and be like, how's your wife doing? And they're like, she's great or she's awful. And it's like, I'm here too, you know, and they get so overlooked. And I wanted to try to find a way to let the dads know that they mattered. And it's hard because... There's not a traditional dad gift um, with moms that tend to have a lot more trinkety things. And I was trying, I thought a lot about what I could do and give for dads. And I came up with the idea on my own after looking at a lot of stuff of using different sized beads to you make Morse code to spell dad. So like a large bead and a small bead. And then I would tie a knot um, in like a leather cord. And I do D-A-D out of that. And so it's Morse code for dad. And I have a little card. I can't remember exactly what I say, but essentially it's the idea of even though it might not be obvious to others, you still know you're a dad. Um, and I put that card in with that keychain as a gift. Um, and now Cher hands that out to fathers as a way to just let dads know that they are a dad, especially for fathers who sometimes it's their first baby loss and they're left kind of empty wondering, am I a father? Am I not a father? And even the ones that it's not their first baby, it's always hard when people ask you, how many kids do you have? And you don't know how to answer that question anymore. Um, but that baby still counts. You still get to count that baby all day, every day. And I wanted dads to be appreciated. And it's sad sometimes to feel like it's such an awful consolation prize. I, I want to make it better and you can't. But at least it's something to say, hey, I see you. And you matter. And your relationship with your baby matters. And so that's, I've done it twice now for his um, first birthday and his second birthday. And now his third birthday is coming up. Um, and I'm planning on making some more keychains for that event as well. And that's kind of going to become our tradition of just making those keychains in honor of Garrett to donate to families. Well, I have to tell you, I have had the opportunity to be a companion at a hospital visit. And I remember handing that keychain to a dad. And it was their first baby that they had just lost. And just the tears that welled up in his eyes. And he immediately like took it out and put it on his keychain. And Aww. I can just tell you like how touching that is for them to be seen. And 
you know, they try so hard to be strong for their wives. And I think it's just like, you know, that's a daily reminder that they can hold and touch and be reminded of that sweet baby that does exist. So you are making a difference with your trinket that you did in Garrett's honor. That's beautiful. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah. I, I I'm so glad to know more about the story behind these bad keychains because I hand them out all the time now. And I'm really glad you chose to do that. Yeah. It was something that I saw that there was a gap for. And I wanted to make sure that dads were seen too. And I want to, if I could help everyone, I would, but I know I can make the difference where I can. And so I'll start here and I'm going to make the world better because he was here in my own little ways, one keychain at a time, if that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And we'll just keep on keeping on. Right. And the work you're doing with your parents, like the social media, especially, and for listeners out there who want to find that social media presence, how can they find Share Parents? Yeah, if you want to follow Share Parents, um, Share Parents of Utah, um, that will be our Instagram, that will be our Facebook. You can check out our website, sputah.org. Um, follow us there. We're also on TikTok, Share Parents of Utah. That's where we're hanging out on all this stuff. Um, I have a personal TikTok for my son, or not TikTok, I'm sorry. I have a personal Instagram for my son. Um, Honor Garrett Rollins is where I post um, infrequently, but occasionally about my boy and just my own little grief journey with him. Um, But I'm mostly on Share Parents of Utah behind the scenes a lot. Um, Just making things run, keeping busy over there. And it's good for us to see the story behind the poster. Like who's posting Yeah. And why it matters to you to share these things that people are reading here. So if you and I love that the online space gets to extend beyond the physical borders. Mm -hmm. That yes, Utah is in the name, and that is where we're physically located. But the internet is huge, and that can extend to anywhere. And we would love to offer that support online to anyone who wants to hear it. Oh yeah, I mean, you've gotten hundreds of thousands of views so it's reaching all corners it's amazing and if you had just one piece of advice for a parent who is in your position what would you say to them or what have you said to parents to give yourself grace I think that was a big lesson that I've learned um and throughout my journey when I um, felt like I was doing everything right and I was trusting God and then things fell apart. I got really angry at God for a while. But I um, have learned to give myself grace and to give myself the space to heal emotionally and spiritually from that and to learn to trust him again in a different way and to know that um, it's okay when things are not okay and to allow myself to lower that standard of that bar and to know that 
You know, if today's accomplishment is that I put on pants, hey, I put on pants today. (laughs) Or if today I took a shower and that's all, awesome. Or if you don't even take a shower that day, who cares? That's what dry shampoo is for. But But just to give yourself grace and patience that this is, there's no trophy for getting over your grief faster than somebody else. You don't get a ribbon for this there's no one here to applaud you for being better at mourning than somebody else. Just to be patient with yourself and to know that you're going to fall short and that's going to be okay. And it looks different than what you wanted it to. And that's sad. And you're allowed to be sad. And just to give yourself space for that. I love that. So much of that resonates with me. So thank you. Well, Jane, I am so happy to learn about your butterfly transformation for you as a person and also hear the way that Garrett has you know, made ripples with his existence, his life. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. And, and we will catch you later. We'll get more information on the in the description for share parents for anyone who wants to find you there but again thank you so much for your time jane thank you so great to talk with you you too take care bye speaking of transformations this podcast is brought to you by perhaps the most transformative product that exists for your skin promyosin an acne treatment that actually works and fast. My cute husband has had acne since he was a teenager and this summer he used promyosin and for the first time ever his black was clear. I'm not kidding I saw a difference after one use and five days later the acne was gone. Promyosin comes from the Cara Poloni skincare line and I love and use all of her products, including micro needle powder cleanser, nano silver spray, healing facial serum, hydrating kiss mist spray, and their lip balm. My favorite part is that every ingredient is natural and supplied by the wholesaler Bulk Naturals. So get your skin transformation started at carapaloni.com or simply just Google Promyosin.